eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. Hello, everyone. I'm John Heyman, and this is a very special interview-only episode of Big Time Baseball. We have a very, very special guest, I would say, one of the two or three biggest stars of this unusual uh, 2020 season, uh, along with Fernando Tatis and uh, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. Uh, This guy might be considered a surprise star, but he came on the scene last year, hit 21 home runs, led his team uh, just a, a fantastic guy and uh, just a terrific season. But uh, first about uh, our podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at John Heyman, and my usual co-host is at Tony Gwynn Jr. That's pretty easy. Uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Big Time Baseball on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. So I'm going to introduce now uh, Mike Yastrzemski to the program, and uh, it's our pleasure to have Mike with us. Uh, just a fantastic start. And of course, I've been talking to your agent, Jack Toffey, and he tells me you are the nicest guy in America. And I've heard that from Dan Duquette and many others. So it's a pleasure to have you on, first of all. John, thanks for having me. And thanks for saying that. Uh, you know, it takes, it takes a good guy to say that. You know, not uh, not everybody will always agree with that. <laughs> well, that's what I hear from everyone. So, so far, it's, uh, it's unanimous. But uh, let's get started on, uh, first of all, on this season. I mean, obviously, you broke on the scene last year and and did quite well, tying for the le- the team lead in home runs with uh, Kevin Pillar, and uh, now you are leading the league in in several categories, leading in triples, leading in walks, uh, leading in games, uh, way up there in WAR. You may be leading in that too, depending on which WAR you're looking at. But uh, uh, absolutely a fantastic start. Uh, Four twenty nine on base, six forty five. Slugging 1,074 OPS, in, incredible, incredible beginning, and you just turned 30. So happy birthday, by the way! But uh, the thing that stands out, sure, things that stands out to me is that uh, you know uh, you were in the minor leagues for seven years uh, after a nice career at uh, Vanderbilt, nice high school career up in the Boston area, 
and I looked at your stats. They look pretty good to me. Uh, I, you know, you never got your chance there, but uh, I mean, it seems like it's a surprise to most of us. Are, are you surprised yourself at, at how well you're playing? Um, no, not really. You know, I, I always, I always have had that confidence in myself and knowing what my abilities are and knowing what occasions I can rise to. And it's funny, you know, when I, uh, when I was a kid playing baseball and playing hockey and everything, whenever I would get moved up to a team of kids that were like older than me or better than me, I always played better. Like for some reason it started when I was a kid, um, even playing in like, I would play in T-ball leagues before I was old enough to, you know, my mom would find a way to sign me up. And I think that was just something that, I always searched for, you know, like trying to make myself better and trying to compete against the best. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. Looking at your stats, they look good, pretty good, and uh, certainly good enough to have gotten a call up or two at different times. I don't know how frustrated you were about that, but once you got your chance, uh, right away, uh, you thrived. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to see uh, how well you have done in the majors. Um, I saw that uh, Hunter Pence in a recent article in Athletic uh, said that you were the greatest uh, player, one of the greatest players he's ever seen. <laughs> what, what did you think about that? Um, I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I definitely <laughs> appreciate it. Um, Hunter's such a good guy. You know, having, having someone like that as a teammate is something that, that is honestly life-changing. You know, the way that he... The way that he goes about his business and the way that he carries himself and how positive he is, like he's just a he's a he's a positive life influence and he just makes everybody better around him no matter what their circumstances. And it didn't matter how he was playing, he was still making people better around him. Um, you know, one thing I'm I'm wondering about, and uh, I, I've heard only positive things about your attitude and how upbeat you are and, and all that. Uh, um, looking at the career and talking to a few people, it seems like um, there was a lot of emphasis that some people put on having some one spectacular tool, whereas you're an all-around excellent player. And everybody I've talked to said you're extremely mentally tough, who really uh, rises to the level and really is a very competitive guy. And uh, that kind of stuff wasn't looked at enough. And too much emphasis was placed on looking for one great tool um, I mean, did you ever get any explanations? I mean, how, how, I mean, I know you're very positive, but did you get frustrated in seven years in the minors, uh, after Vanderbilt? Um, that's, that's a, a longer time than you probably needed. Um, what, what do you think yeah. about that? I think I probably was frustrated every day. You know, the, the minor leagues is hard. Um, you know, you, you don't get paid well. Uh, the travel's not great. Um, you're either living with a host family, which is what we did. And we were lucky enough to meet some great people along the way. And that, you know, took us in and took care of us, or you're living in an apartment with five different guys, you know? So there's, there's really no great way to look at it. And so, you know, throughout that time, I, I started playing GM, you know, like I started uh, like assuming assuming what moves should be made and what should what should happen and you know it's that was a mistake you know that's a that's a mental mistake you know i can't i can't influence those things the only way i can influence them is by playing better um so you know there's there's a lot of complaints and a lot of 
you know, upset people throughout the minor leagues because everybody believes that they should be in the big leagues. And, you know, that's the mentality you should have on the inside, but it gets projected to the outside a lot. And so that creates a lot of tension and it creates a lot of frustration. And, um, I, I definitely got swallowed up by it at times. Um, and it, it for sure dragged me down, but, um, I think it also made me appreciate my opportunity more. So by the time that I got my first day, the only thing that I wanted was just to get one day in the big leagues. You know, I didn't, I didn't care about getting a hit in the big leagues. I didn't care about hitting a home run. I didn't care about anything other than trying to make sure that I got one more day in the big leagues. So I think it, uh, it definitely created a lot of appreciation for where I'm at right now. Looking at your background a little bit, I, I, I noticed that you got married a couple of years ago and you mentioned how hard the minors were, um, you know, how, your, your wife, um, probably understanding in that she was, I think, a lacrosse player at Vanderbilt where you starred as a baseball player. So did she, was she, uh, you know, able to deal with this, the travel and the, you know, uh, all the accommodations that uh, really aren't great in the minor leagues and, uh, you know, wondering when it was going to come for you? Um, you know, that was a, that was a new thing for her too. So at, at first she just took it all in and we were long distance because of baseball, but also she had moved to Colorado to be with her friends and to teach and have a new experience for herself. So the, the distance was obviously tough, but she was always so supportive and, and a rock star. And she'd come and stay at host family's houses with me and never complain. Um, she'd come meet me on the road. She would fly three times in one month just on the weekends. so she was an absolute trooper nice that's very nice um you know I, I i talked about how in the minor leagues your stats were pretty good and you you could have gotten a chance but uh as we both know and you mentioned uh you became they became much better i know you had a labrum a hip labrum surgery and uh that certainly was a setback and it may, certainly affected your performance there for probably a year or two. Uh, but then I, I noticed the last couple of years, uh, uh, you, you started to gain more power. Uh, you know, where, where does that come from? Uh, you played at Sacramento, I think, when you first got to the Giants, and you, you showed power there, and then right away in the major leagues, too. So it's really been the last two years where you've, you've kind of transformed into a, a power hitter. Yeah, you know, um, my grandfather always told me that that you need to be a good hitter first and then you'll eventually find your power when you get older. You know, he, he said he didn't start hitting home runs till he was about 28. And I don't know if I believe him, but, um, you know, that's actually when it started happening for me. So, you know, he, he was probably just trying to make me feel good about myself, but um, it ended up being the truth. And I think it comes from a couple different things. One is obviously, um, a maturity level from your body standpoint. Uh, another one is a maturity level from your mind standpoint, you know, having to figure out what pitches you can drive, what pitches you can take bigger swings at things like that. And then also, um, you know, just trying to figure out my swing when I was with the giants, it was very, I was very labeled as a guy who needed to swing or when I was with the Orioles, excuse me. And I, I was very labeled as a guy who needed to swing A to B and have this kind of small contact swing. And so I started just believing in it because that's what I thought was best, you know, make the organization happy, you know, do what they say and you'll be 
gone up, you know, and mm-hmm. just never worked out that way. When I got to the Giants, the the first thing that the hitting coordinator said to me was he said he loved my swing and that he thinks I could do a lot of damage. And I was like, man, I haven't heard someone tell me they love my swing since I was in college. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> and so having that, having that confidence and having him say something like that was so freeing that I was able to trust what I've been working on for the past four years, kind of on my own that the Orioles told me I shouldn't be doing. And, you know, at, at points I was seen as uncoachable because our, our hitting coaches would tell me, Oh, you always got something new that you're bringing to after spring training. You know, you're always working on something different. How about you just work on what works? And I was like, well, guys, clearly it doesn't work. I've been bouncing from double A AA to triple A for the past four years. Like I would really like to not do that again. <laughs> and that that's not how they saw it. And so, um, you know, I, I just kind of had somebody give me a little bit of confidence in my swing and say that they like where it's going and we could kind of work towards the same goal there. What's the name? Let's give them a little love here. What's the name of the hitting coordinator there that uh, said those nice things to you right away? Uh, that was, that was Zinter. He's now the, uh, he's now the hitting coach for the Reds. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Well, it certainly yeah. uh, helped inspire you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was him and, uh, him and Damon Miner. So Damon Miner was our triple A hitting coach who really helped me a lot of stuff with my top hand, which was something that I needed. You know, I didn't know I needed, but I definitely needed it. And I, uh, the funny connection with him is I played for his twin brother in Baltimore. He was our, uh, he was our manager in low A at the, t- at the time when I played for him. So yeah, that's like an Oriole name. Yeah. 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 Very good. Now, I mean, you mentioned the hitting coaches and who you learned from now, obviously your dad played at Florida state and was a player in the minor leagues um, for a long time. And uh, your, de- your grandfather, uh, Carl Yusremski, we all know is uh, an all time great. And to give you some perspective, I didn't see all of his career, but I saw probably two thirds of it. Uh, that's how old I am. But his career was quite something. I think he played more games for uh, one team than anybody else has played like 3,300 games uh, for one team, an all time, an all time great uh, player for the Red Sox. Um, I mean, uh, growing up, uh, were you learning from your dad? Were you learning from Carl? Uh, who, who was who was helping you? I, I've read things that suggested that Carl really started with you when you were a freshman in high school and you played and you, I think, made the freshman team and you were, you were very good in high school and then had a chance then to uh, go to, I mean, I guess you were a good student, right? You, you could have gone to an Ivy League school or Vanderbilt and you went with uh, Vanderbilt. But who who taught you early on in your career? Um, it was definitely my mom and dad. Um, you know, my dad had all the, uh, all the mechanics and the rules and everything down, but it was really my mom who spent a lot of time with me that, you know, she would throw wiffle balls to me while dad was working. And she was the one that created the love for it. Um, so she was the one that would drive me around everywhere, but it was definitely my dad who helped me with my swing and understanding the game. Um, and just how to play hard, you know, like how to play the game the right way. And those were, those were things that I didn't realize there were lessons at the time. You know, I thought it was just his opinion, but I realized now how much he was trying to shape me into a player who respected the game and who, who loved playing the game as long as he possibly could. In terms of Carl, uh, you know, obviously an all time great. Uh, was there anything particular that he worked with you on? Um, 
once you start at high school or even beyond, uh, I've hear from your agent, Jack Toffee, that Carl stays up and listens uh, or watches all your games, uh, even on the West Coast, <laughs> the West Coast, which is all of them this year. Uh, so, that, I mean, you have to appreciate that. Uh, he's 80 years old at this point to stay up that late to to be uh, so proud. Um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, being the grandson of Carl Stremski and what he's done for you? Well, uh, first of all, I think I give him more stress than he's ever had in his life throughout these games. You know, he, says he, he can't sleep for two hours after the game's over. Um, so, so that's fun. But he, uh, you know, he, he worked with me so much on, in high school and really helped me um, develop my swing and kind of learn how to hit. You know, it, there's a different aspect to hitting rather than just picking up the bat and swinging at the ball. You know, it's much more mentally mentally draining and exhausting and it takes true passion to to really develop that skill and to have someone like him who's so driven and so passionate about it even if it his information was phenomenal but it wasn't really the information that stuck with me it was about how he delivered it and how obsessive he was over it and you know we'd be we would go hit at uh dave bencourt's place you know he used to give us a key to the place and he would let us in there and use it when no one was around. So no one would bother my grandfather. And, you know, we'd go there and we'd go to, to dinner and we'd go eat at his house with all of our family there and we'd be sitting around and he wouldn't be talking. He'd just be sitting there eating. And then all of a sudden he would scream across the table, you know, Mike, get up in your stance. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm, uh, we just worked on it for three hours. I'm eating. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and, and he would he'd walk me through everything. He's like, yeah, yeah, good. All right, now do it again. I'm like, I want, and oh, our whole family's there, you know, like aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone's eating, having a good time. And he'd be having me in my stance, getting getting more reps in. So um, it was it was kind of that that drive drive from him to make me as as good as I possibly could be. That helped myself have it. I thought one of the highlights of, of anything last year in baseball uh, was you going to Fenway Park um, and throwing out the ball to you. Then you hitting a home run to center field off of, I believe it was off of Evaldi. And uh, just amazing. Uh, you grew up, obviously, in the Boston area. Um, what what was that day? What was that day like for you? Very emotional. You know, that was and I'm a I'm a I'm a very introverted person. And so to have so many emotions overflowing and family members, it was, it was honestly just exhausting. Um, but it was, it was so cool to number one, play there. Number two, to, to hit a home run there. That was obviously like my dream as a kid growing up, a huge Red Sox fan to play there, hit home runs and do all that. And then finally to be able to catch a first pitch from, from my grandfather was super special. You know, that's something that every kid dreams about is playing catch with with their dad or grandfather on a big league field. And, you know, I, I was a little hesitant about it at first because I didn't think he would want to do it. Uh, it's a little weird being a visiting member of a team when you're, I was literally hitting, I think, two and a half minutes later, you know, and here I am out on the field catching the first pitch. But, um, <laughs> You know, overall, it was just a, a surreal experience. And uh, the Red Sox and the Giants were both first class organizations and putting all that together and 
just making an experience for my entire family, you know, not, not just myself, but um, everybody that was there watching had an incredible experience. So big thanks to, to both organizations. Yeah. I, uh, reading the articles afterward, it was uh, really something to see uh, Tyler Kepner. Uh, and I'm not sure how well you know him, but he went to Vanderbilt. He wrote an article in the New York times. Do you know him at all? It seems like you have a lot of yeah. Vanderbilt connections all over the place. Uh, do you know Tyler? <laughs> I do. Okay. Yeah, he's a great guy. Very nice fellow. And uh, yeah, looking at your Twitter page, uh, boy, you're connected to all sorts of Vanderbilt uh, people, the coaches, and all the people surrounding uh, Vanderbilt. And I know that you're very close friends with uh, Tony Kemp, who's over playing across the bay with the A's. And uh, I wanted to get into a little bit about your decisions in life. You, out of high school, did you have an opportunity to go pro or uh, did you talk to, uh, I think it was an Ivy League school or two that you talked to. Why did you decide on Vanderbilt? And then when you got there, uh, after three years, you were drafted. And I think you were offered $300,000 after being drafted in the mid-round somewhere by Seattle. And I, I, it seemed like it was a hard decision for you. You decided to forego the money, knew you would get less because you wanted to graduate or maybe your, your mother wanted you to graduate. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, you made that decision. Then the Orioles uh, wisely took you, uh, and I'm sure you didn't get a $300,000 bonus as a senior, but uh, they, they were smart enough to take you. I know that Dan had a connection to your dad, uh, having been in the Red Sox organization when your, your dad was uh, coaching there. And uh, perhaps that's why he was uh, smart enough to take you. But could you take me through exactly how you got to where you got and what decisions you made? Yeah. So the high school rec recruiting process was kind of later for me. You know, it's not like it is now. Um, so it was just normal when you're a junior, you start talking to schools and you figure it out by the time you're fall of senior year. So um, I visited a few schools. BC was high up there. Um, Harvard was high up there and they told me I had to take the SATs again to get in. I said, no, I'm only taking them once. No, thanks. <laughs> um, you must have done pretty well because Vanderbilt's a pretty good school too. So, Yeah, I thought I did well enough. You know, it's, that's all that mattered. Yeah. And uh, I, I was really close to going to Brown. You know, they were uh, very persuasive by telling me that you could take 12 pass-fail classes. So as a as an eighteen year old kid, that's very uh, very persuasive. You know, you don't have to get grades anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to pass. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a few um, camps. I went to a camp at Florida State, and uh, my uncle had everything set up for me. He helped me throughout the process. And uh, Mike Martin was was still the coach there. You know, my dad played for Mike, and so he said he told the coach he said. Uh, you know, I really think it'd be smarter of him to look, you know, small D1 schools up in New England or, you know, some of the, the bigger D2, D3 schools down here. And I was really set on going, kind of getting out of the Boston area. And then all of a sudden, while I was at the camp, I get a call from Tim Corbin, who's the head coach of Andy, and said, hey, make sure you don't make your decision before you leave there. You know, you have to come here, check it out. And I'd love to have you on campus. So I said, all right, I'll make my decision. When visited there, and the second that I got there, I knew that I was going to go there if I could. And the only issue was Ryan Westmoreland, who was supposed to go there, was possibly signing with the Red Sox. And so if he ended up going to Vandy, then they had no outfield spots. But he ended up signing, and so they had one outfield spot left, and uh, Forbes was gracious enough to give it to me. So 
um, I accepted immediately. And then moving, moving forward, uh, I, when I got drafted by the Mariners, we, it was, this is the first year. I believe this is the first year of the new rules, you know, the new draft rules. So the signing bonuses and slots and all that stuff. And so, um, I, I hadn't heard from the Mariners for most of the summer because they were trying to figure all their other guys out first and everything came down to the last two minutes of the deadline. Um, so we're making phone calls back and forth and within a matter of 45 seconds, their offer went from 150 all the way up to 300. And so I was call- I was calling my grandfather, like freaking out. I'm like, this is a big difference. Like there's a big difference in those two numbers. And it got to the point where he said, you know, I, I think that's a good number. That's, that can be life-changing money. So if you're comfortable with it, then you can do it. It's up to you. And so I, I called Jack back and I said, all right, Jack, I'm going to sign. And he goes, Jack goes, are you sure? And I was like, Nope, I'm not sure. Nope. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. (laughs) In that, in that split second that he asked me if I was sure I was leaning so heavily on, on my dad at that point, like he, he did not graduate from college and he was like one credit away. And it was always something that kind of haunted him. And I've made a promise to him that I would always graduate college. And in that split second, I felt that if I signed, I wasn't going to achieve that and that I'd be letting him down. And plus I had my mom and Paige downstairs and they were both bawling their eyes out because they had no idea what was going on. So there's a, a lot of emotional, a lot of emotions that were involved in that that decision but uh overwhelmingly it was uh, my dad that made sure that i went back to college to finish and it was the best decision i ever made very nice yeah, yeah I'm, i know you're talking about jack zorinzik who was the uh, gm of the seattle mariners at the time and I'm, boy it, it's worked out fantastic for you uh, one thing i i want to get specific on with your year that you're having with all the uh statistics that's uh the one that's really unbelievable i read this in the athletic uh, story uh the other day that Andrew Baggerly and Grant Brisby wrote, uh, you're slugging 683 with two strikes. Slugging 683. Uh, and they said, said that only a few players, now these are players with more at-bats, but uh, only a few players in their careers slug even 400 with two strikes. Um, how do you account for that? I mean, you just concentrate more and say, all right, I got to I gotta do my best here. I mean, is there some strategy to that? It's 683. So your slugging percentage is actually higher with two strikes than it is uh, with less than two strikes. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess that, that kind of is it. You know, it's like, oh, I, I just don't, you know, I better get a good pitch to hit. Um, and this was another, another area that, the uh, the Giants helped me out with was understanding stats and what they actually mean. So if you get to two strikes, what's the typical goal? The typical goal is, oh, you know, I don't want to strike out. You know, I'm embarrassed to strike out. I think striking out is horrible. So, okay, that makes sense. Now let's break down different strikeouts. You can strike out looking, you can strike out swinging. And they said, do you know who leads the league in strikeouts looking every single year? And I said, no, why, why is that relevant? And it's usually Mike Trout, Joey Votto, Mookie Betts, Hmm. right? Those, those, those three guys are, you know, you could probably throw Anthony Rendon in there too, but 
it's because those guys are the best hitters in the game and they have the best eyes in the game and they're the most selective. So they're always looking for a good pitch to hit, even with two strikes. So if you get a pitch that's borderline ball, there's probably not a whole lot you're going to do with it anyways. You know, maybe once in a while you'll poke a ball through the hole or maybe it's going to be a different situation if there's two outs and there's runners on second and third and you need those runs, you're going to be a little more aggressive. But they're still looking for a good pitch to hit. So that that kind of changed my outlook on things. So I, I looked at it as like, okay, I've always been told that striking out is bad, but maybe it's really not. Maybe it's actually better than putting a ball in play and grounding into a double play. Um, you, you can actually be creating more opportunity for your team if you actually do strike out um, in certain situations. And so I kind of took that to heart and it started creating a, a more selective approach in, I was, I wasn't scared to, to take good swings at pitches that I'm supposed to hit as opposed to being really defensive in that situation and maybe fouling a ball off because all I want to do is make sure that I make contact with it. Um, I'm, I'm still swinging to drive the ball in those situations. Well, it, cer- it certainly is working and uh, looking at your numbers now, and I know you're going to think this is crazy, but uh, I, I should ask you this since we only have a, a little more than 30 games to go. Uh, you know, uh, your goal, you, you said originally, was just to make it to the major leagues. Uh, you know, is your goal now to win the MVP? And also, uh, what, what, what about the Giants? You won six in a row. Uh, the pitching is good. And, uh, I mean, the way you're playing uh, now, uh, you, you might be a playoff team. I mean, I, I was looking at you as a probable seller. But uh, where, do you, where do you think the Giants go from here? And uh, is MVP your goal for this year? um you know it'd be it'd be cool to get one vote you know that's that'd be (laughs) incredible i never i never saw that happening um but i just want to win baseball games you know i've never i've never had so much fun as the last stretch that we had last year when we were the best team in baseball for the month of july um this stretch of games where we're winning playing well it's so it's so much more fun to win baseball games than it is to lose and so really all, all I want to do is keep winning, keeps everybody in a good mood. Everyone's happy. Um, and you just get to enjoy your experiences more. The other thing I was going to ask you about in terms of your goal, and I'm going to let you go after this is, uh, you know, your grandfather had played like 1200 games by the time he was 28 years old. And, uh, you know, you were called up last year at 28 and now you're just turned 30, uh, but he played into his 40s, so you still have a long way to go, potentially. Uh, bloodlines mean something, and I think they do. Um, I mean, do you look back on it all uh, that you, should, you you wish you'd started sooner? It doesn't seem like that's you're that type of person, and do you feel like uh, you're going to get this into your 40s just like uh, your grandpa Carl did? I hope so. I mean, I, I hope I got those genes, that's for sure. <laughs> you definitely got uh, the hitting genes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but in terms of the uh the other stuff like i don't i don't take anything for granted you know it's uh everybody's got their own path to to the big leagues and who knows maybe if i ever if i did end up getting called up by the orioles i may not have had any success and i'd be out of baseball by now um we just don't know the what ifs so i'm uh, i'm just enjoying the ride and having a lot of fun doing it yeah, well, we were having fun watching you. It's been a, a real pleasure to watch, and it's been a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate your staying overtime. You're a real gentleman calling exactly 
exactly on the appointed time of 10.15. So I give you credit for, the, for that too. And congratulations on the year that you're having and uh, keep it going. It's been a pleasure, uh, Mike Yastrzemski. And this has been a big time baseball special interview edition, uh, signing off for, until next time. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.